I tried to actually buy a Hexbox like a month ago, but you know, my wife just said no uh, because she wasn't seeing me <laughs> enough. So uh, I lost wow. the fight. That's a, that's the right wow. choice. You should get a PlayStation. <laughs> Don't get an Xbox. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Hey, 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 welcome, welcome ladies and gentlemen to the third episode of Games and Names podcast, a place where we talk with different experts from game dev industry about their professional stories as well as expertise. In other words, we talk about games and people in them. My name is Tan, I'm your usual host and also VP of product at AppMagic, an analytical service for analyzing mobile markets and gaining actionable insights. A small disclaimer, I really apologize for my voice, it might be a little bit rough because I've been ill for the last couple of weeks, but fingers crossed, it won't be a problem for us today, as we've got a very hot topic to discuss, and for that we've got two special guests. First of all, let me introduce Kirill, the BizDev specialist from AppMagic. You've already seen Kirill in our first episode, where we were talking about the most interesting, the most promising mobile niches you should really pay attention to. If you haven't heard it, you should totally jump there and check it out. Maybe even pause this episode, go there and then return. That's fine, that's all right. But yeah, going back to Kirill, that's great to see you once again in our virtual studio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. And for discussing our special topic, we've got another special guest. So, Tibu, head of publishing from Voodoo.io, one of the most famous publishers of hyper-casual games, pivoting to hybrid casual games right now. Tibu, welcome. Welcome. Uh, hi. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, sure. So, gentlemen, first, as we usually do, we've got a little tradition here in Games and Names, so each of our guests answers this simple question. Why do you work in the gaming industry? So, what it is there for you? Tibu, we are really intrigued and interesting. Sure. Um, I, I don't come at all from the gaming industry uh, originally, so it's uh, it's actually a really good question. Uh, I have a background which is more conventional. I've done six years in consulting uh, before actually joining Voodoo. Um, I worked two years at the Boston Consulting Group in Paris, um, and then actually worked at four years for four years, sorry, at BCG Digital Ventures, uh, both in London and Paris, creating new ventures and new businesses. Uh, and I've been at Voodoo for two years now. Why am I working uh, at Voodoo, and why did I actually join uh, this business? I think. I was kind of intrigued. I was headed it by Voodoo initially, and I thought this was kind of special because it's one of the French unicorns that no one talks about. No one speaks about mm -hmm. it in France. Mm -hmm. No one speaks about it in Paris. And I was quite um, critical, I would say, on, on unicorns that actually over-communicate, uh, but actually don't generate any revenue or BDA or everything. And Voodoo as a business actually appeared as a very healthy business that no one spoke about. And I kind of was intrigued by this mm -hmm. confidential aspect uh, of the company. So that was one of the reasons why I joined and I initially accepted the interviews. And then I would say throughout the whole process, I really got passionate about the industry, really, you know, deep diving on the market trends, uh, the different uh, competitors, Voodoo's edge in terms of testing and actually launching games and the culture of the company, which was to always test new things and change directions and, you know, not be afraid to actually take risks and, and move fast. And I think that was the main reason, which is the culture fit with the company and hmm. kind of a real passion for the industry that was actually built throughout the, I would say, the interview process that I got here at Voodoo. And actually, I haven't regretted it. It's been quite a blast. Uh, the industry has moved a lot. The company has moved a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful to have actually been part of that journey and um, of everything that's happened over the past few years. And also on the side, I was quite a gamer when I was in high school. 
mainly playing World of Warcraft back then and did a few console games like, you know, all the FIFA and GTAs of this world. So yeah, always been quite keen on it as well. But I'm not a gamer anymore and I haven't been for like 10 years now. So I'm, I'm more like a mobile gamer, I would say, like a casual <laughs> gamer than, uh, than a hardcore one nowadays. Actually, you've answered my next question. I was wondering, have you tried the vanilla WoW that was launched, I think, several years ago by Blizzard? So you said that you haven't touched the PC and console games for quite a while, and you're a totally yeah, like a mobile warrior now. Yeah, yeah I haven't. Uh, honestly, I haven't, and unfortunately, I don't have time now. Uh, I tried to actually buy a Xbox like a month ago, but you know, my wife just said no because she wasn't seeing <laughs> me enough, so I lost wow. the fight. That's the right wow. choice. You should get a PlayStation. <laughs> don't get an Xbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. Today we want to talk about the so-called hybrid fever. So the gaming market is pretty hot about hybrid casual right now. What is it? How is it going? We want to discuss how Voodoo is making $100 million hybrid games. Yeah, you've heard it right. $100 million. So we want to discuss everything around it. What are hybrid games? Why the market is so crazy about it right now? How Voodoo succeeded to launch or pivot not just one, but several hybrid hits and what focusing on this niche means for the company from the framework perspective process structure people everything basically so first things first let's try to define the hybrid games because i think that's the basis and that's something we really should do in order to discuss it so tibu from your experience what do you call hybrid games what are they i think there are a lot of different definitions for, for hybrid games but i would say it's it's a bit of everything in terms of <laughs> what kind of games you could have in there i'm not gonna say it's match three because it could be match three but it could also be like a shooter o overall i think it's a deep core gameplay, which is deeper than half casual and will allow you solely with the core gameplay to get at least 15% uh, day seven retention. So not thinking mm. about any meta loop or anything else. And I'm thinking the classic puzzle gameplay. So you can say word games, you can say match games, you can say merge, you name it. Um, and then it's more like you can say the mid-core titles as well. So we have FPS, TPS, shoot them up. Really, you know, it, it can be any kind of core gameplay that can actually get you a high retention with a hybrid monetization. And when I say hybrid monetization, it's we have several ways of actually monetizing a game. And, you mm -hmm. know, let's say the classic hype casual used to monetize 75% on FS and 25% on uh, rewarded videos. I would say on a hybrid, the splits is going to completely change and you're going to add a bunch of IAPs to actually improve the LTV of your game, mm -hmm. right? So I think the ideal split would be one third, one third, one third between IAPs, RVs, and FS because you try to monetize everyone, but mm -hmm. still you should be able to engage players in the long run and try to actually get people to stay for the longest time available. So you would monetize everyone from the get-go, classic mm -hmm. casual stuff, but also be able to create some very strong cords that you can monetize for years. And that's the whole idea is to actually build games that become resilient, you know, through live ops, uh, through level design, through uh, a deeper uh, meta gameplay. So you can actually keep uh, scaling the game for years compared to before where basically you were just looking for hits. You were just, you know, spending as much as possible for a bunch of time, seeing how far you can go and then going down and then you had to make a new game. Let's try, let's try, let's try. So that's what we call hybrid games at Voodoo. It's basically a deeper core gameplay inspired by existing gameplay, to be honest, we're not reinventing the wheel. And with live ops, hybrid monetization, and deeper uh, meta gameplay to actually improve the engagement uh, of the players. Mm -hmm. So and, the that hybrid, can, and, and that's why okay. and that's why it's hard to actually give an exact sorry. And that's why it's hard to actually give an exact definition because it can range from 
uh, mob control, which honestly has a quite a happy casual core, but yep. with infinite level design options and a strong meta gameplay around it. I would say with you know challenge, multiplayers, leagues, and everything. To collectible, which is more of a linker, which is kind of a classic puzzle and match gameplay, but which is adapted hybrid because we make it, you know, more juicy in the way you play it, easier by actually being able to diagonal matches compared to two dots with many games to actually be able to get a lower CPI, a bit out of play ricks, but still, you know, very high D7, D14, D3, and D90 uh, on the game. So you kind of have these two extremes. That's interesting. So from what you're saying, hybrid is not about the gameplay itself. The core gameplay can be anything as long as it's catchy enough, as long as there is like 15 to 20% uh, retention, but it's more on a monetization side. Exactly. But the monetization is going to depend on the core gameplay as well, right? So it's not mm -hmm. going to work with a, with anything. Runners, you're not going to be able to actually push monetization that far. Uh, you still need mm -hmm. to have, you know, a gameplay that will actually tie to a strong uh, monetization. So puzzles work fairly well. Right, because you have the um, the existing puzzles in the market, the uh, candy crush and raw matches of this world. Mid core, you need to have something uh, where you can actually create the monetization loop in the game, and so. Mm -hmm. Runners won't work, for example. ASMR and simulation games won't work as well because you can't really create a strong loop around it. But you see it on retention. I mean, these games didn't have 20% D7, neither runners nor simulation games. I would say in half casual, it's more like the games that were already closer to strategy games. Mm -hmm. We have a few here actually that can, that can do the job. But other than that, it's more like, you know, trying to simplify existing gameplays that I'm all mid-core and, and puzzly into something which is very catchy using the hypercasual recipe of making it very snackable, very catchy, very uh -huh. easy to pick up, but leveraging better monetization loops uh, to actually push further than NFS to monetize players. I think the addition of monetization here is very important because a lot of people label games like Empires and Puzzles or Project Makeover as hybrid casual because they have the core gameplay, like you mentioned, of puzzle game. So puzzle, was it Puzzle of Empires, has a uh, core gameplay of Match 3, but then they also have the meta of RPG slash strategy games where you level up your heroes, you build your base, you, you do all that stuff. And people call that hybrid casual. Yes, it's not about just combining two gameplays. It's also about the monetization. Uh, so yeah, that's what we said. Yeah, exactly. So for us, it's really about the uh, monetization potential. It's not so much about combining gameplays. Cool. And but honestly, we're not, we're, not, yeah. we're not huge believers of combining gameplays. I mean, there are some games that actually work, obviously, on, on this front. You're saying mm -hmm. Empire and Puzzles, Coin Master and, and everything, Project Makeover. But uh, that that's not the route that we're following right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the idea is to be focused on one gameplay in one game not go and just uh, trying to create some kind of a Frankenstein monster consisting of different parts, but rather making it easier to grasp, especially when you have such an opportunity, especially for a bit more difficult genres. And then having a very wide, a very well thought about monetization system where we implement all types of monetization based on the person's behavior, based on uh, in-game mechanics, based on what is going on basically everywhere in the game. Yep, exactly. I think a good question is why hybrid games are so popular right now. And we're talking here about hybrid games from monetization perspective and from maybe gameplay perspective as well. What is the main reasons for them for being so popular? And when saying popular, I mean in the social media, in the blogs, in the professional community, we can see a lot of talks about it. Uh, there is a saying that hybrid casual is new, hyper casual. Hyper casual is going to die. Well, at least that's what we were hearing for the last, I think, 
five years, maybe more. Still, hyper-casual is still here, but right now, like, the next contender, the next big contender is hybrid. So why right now? How do you think? I would say it's a mix of things. I mean, it's popular in the media. I don't know if it's popular with the market yet. If you look at revenue data from, I don't know, Sensitella or Data.ai and everything, you still dominated by the big casual players, right? So... Mm -hmm. You know, King, Peak Dream, Supercell, and the others, they, they still dominate the market in terms of revenues. It's not so much a hybrid players that actually would dominate it. So I would say it's one of the, why is hybrid casuals popular? I think first and foremost, it's getting super hard to actually launch a hyper casual game, right? So there are several reasons for that. And the main one uh, is the IDFA depreciation from Apple uh, with iOS 14.5, yeah, yeah, which, you know, had a big impact on uh, on U8. And we were operating on very thin margins in mm -hmm. casual. Voodoo had some hefty margins back then, but CPI was fairly stable. And we were able to actually sustain the growth of CPI with a decent enough LTV. And I think mm -hmm. following the IDFA change, the CPI is starting really going up uh, and the LTVs actually, you know, didn't catch up uh, with the growth. And so we saw kind of, uh, you know, the two lines crossing, right? So the lines of our CPI and the CPMs that we were actually getting from networks by selling the inventory, and it wasn't growing as fast as the CPIs were at some point. So launching a half a casual game became uh, super hard back then. We still, you know, it depends on 2021. We still had a really good 2021 with a, a bunch of uh, successes. And in 2022, the situation was much harder. Mm -hmm. Good for us, we actually started the transition in 2020 because we knew it wasn't going to last forever. So that's when we actually moved to hybrid casual. And so I think the popularity of hybrid comes from first hybrid casual players. That, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, and when I say players, it's not the... Uh, the entire, but more like the, the publisher mm -hmm. that want to find a new thing and a new profitable way to actually launch games. And hype casual being not in a very good spot, it's important for publishers to actually find, you know, kind of a new way to grow and a new way to actually launch games. And I think hybrid uh, was a bit the way to go on this front. So trying to get to games that could actually sustain higher CPIs through higher mm -hmm. LTVs. And as I was saying in the beginning, you cannot actually achieve that with runners and simulation games. Uh, you have to go on other jars to be able to actually get high LTVs. And so that's when I think the hyper casual players started playing on different segments to try and attract new players or do the same players, but actually monetize them in a better way. So I think this is the first thing. And I think the second thing is on the casual side of things, they also were hit by the rise in CPI that actually happened on the games. And so they then started to think about ways to monetize players differently than pure IPs. And mm -hmm. now you actually mm -hmm. have a bunch of ads as well in Candy Crush, right? You have some RVs and, and they're here. And Wordscapes is monetizing you know, 80 or 90% on ads and not on IPs. So I think they went the way of the hybrid monetization rather than actually making mm -hmm. hybrid games. But it also came from casual that tried to monetize everyone in a better way than what they were doing with basically their golden cohorts that were monetizing in a really good way. And they had to find new ways to monetize players. And then the last thing is I think there were some first games that actually starting the launch which were a bit more in between. You were talking about Project Makeover. I think the Play Race games can actually fall into that category as well where the idea was to basically use hyper casual gameplays as you know, clickbait ads uh -huh, uh -huh. to actually get low CPIs and use them as mini games afterwards, and then actually get players to engage in deeper gameplays, which honestly was a smart thing, and it worked out super well for them. And so I think it's kind of a this mix of getting a low CPI with a higher LTV than what you were supposed to have in uh, Hype Cattle back then. And the way BC translates, I think, is maybe we will talk about that uh, in a few in a few minutes. But for Voodoo, I think for other players, the opportunity where it lies is you don't need that big of a team to actually launch 
hybrid game uh, nowadays, uh-huh. uh, or even a casual game. It's not the same as 10 years ago. And so it's become more accessible to everyone to actually launch a game. And that also, you know, feeds the market with new games, which other hybrid games that can operate on the on the leaner team with a different monetization strategy and a lower CPI than these um, legacy games. That's true. But on the other hand, having a smaller team working with the game means you really have to know where to look for the like these little jams, little, little captivating core gameplay that we were talking about. So where to find the ideas for the games. And I'm pretty sure we will discuss it like in a couple of minutes. The main reason I was asking about the whole popularity of the genre is pretty much the same, and you've mentioned it. We can see from our data as well at AppMagic that the market itself is not there yet, not even close. So the status quo in the tops in the casual market is pretty much the same. Yet, yes, hyper-casual is going down and... It sounds like a like a new silver bullet to all the investors, to all the publishers out there, because maybe there is money, maybe there is better LTV and lower CPIs, or at least CPIs compared to hypercasual, and maybe we should go this way. But I think we, we already seen couple of waves like that in the previous years, but this time with the Apple privacy policy, with Google privacy policy coming this year, I think in December, or maybe in the beginning of the next year, with the whole crisis going on and the gaming industry going down in the revenue for the first time last year, there is a big chance that this time the wave itself and the trend itself will be really big. So it will have a niche of its own on the market. Well, at least there are some good signs for that. Okay, uh, so I think that's the best moment to jump right into the process of voodoo of making hybrid casual games and how the whole company pivoted to that direction. So it seems that the majority of hybrid games from Voodoo right now were pivots of already successful hyper casual games. Is it true or it's just a, an imagination? No, I think it's just an imagination. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think the, the the main example you have in mind is probably Mob Control, which has been in the yep. charts for like two and a half years now. So the game was initially launched at App Cattle Game in June 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been two years. Uh, by an internal team um, based in our Paris uh, office. Mm-hmm. We did have a casual launch. Then the game descaled towards the end of the year, 2021. And then was actually picked up by another team within Voodoo to actually hybridize the game. Uh, and then we scaled it in 2022. And now it's the biggest game in our portfolio for the year 2023. So that's kind of the flagship, I would say, for hybrid here at Voodoo. And it does have mm-hmm. a happy casual core. That's true. On the other hand, we have a game like Collectible, which initially was Linker. And so, you know, it, it wasn't a happy casual hit. And from the get-go, we decided we wanted to hybridize it and try to make a cash game uh, mm-hmm. out of it and try to launch it this way. And so we worked on the game from September 2021 onwards with the studio that's called Tarbush that is now part of Voodoo. And the game was scaled end of 2021, early 2022, and it's actually still being scaled and is now a massive success that we have in the portfolio. And so, you know, we have this kind of random games. So we both have, have a casual course and we also have more casual course. But mm-hmm. where we add something different to make the game... I would say easier to pick up for the player and a bit juicier than what we've seen in the past. And so we're really trying these two. And I think we, we at the moment have these two approach. So mm-hmm. just, I think it's worth going back to the organization of the team and how we, how we work. So we have what we call a core team, which mm-hmm. is made of publishing and uh, core studios. And so publishing, we work with studios that are both internal and external uh, to actually build prototypes and build new games following our guidelines. Once we actually have a game that has promising metrics, we decide to self-launch it. Self-launch it, we do all the A-B test phase and everything. We start scaling the game. And then we give it over to what we call a live team, 
which is part of the live organization within Lulu. And basically, there's a studio that comes in, which is staffed with people that actually come from the top casual companies in the market. They create a studio, and it's basically a one-studio, one-game philosophy, and they will live with the game moving forward. It's still a very lean team, mm-hmm. five to ten people, and they got to work this way. So Mob Control was actually built this way. It was done, then it was launched, descaled, and then it was actually taken over by a live team afterwards. Lightsamol was also taken over by the live team. And so why I say that? Because we have two different ways of seeing things. One way is to take games from the existing portfolio, games that uh-huh. are still performing and have been there for like four or five years, have really good metrics and where we try to actually bring a new hybrid layer to it. Some games, for example, we have Ball Blast, which is a big voodoo game, which was taken over by the live team. City Takeover, we also try to actually take it from a live team. And then we have the Game Ops team that's been here historically to work on a casual game that's still working on games like Beverly 2, Oladayo, Helix, and others. So that's one thing which is trying to hybridize a casual cores, as you were saying, uh-huh. but the ones that really had the best metrics and where we think there's potential to actually bring something new to improve the monetization loop and actually rescale the game. And these are games that are already quite scaled and where we have like, you know, we've always had quite a heavy spend and you you regularly see them in top 100 uh, iOS, US, and it's been the case for like four or five years now. Mm -hmm. Then the other approach is to actually launch new games, right? And so to launch new games, the idea is not to go on Hyper Casual Core. Because if we go on Hyper Casual Core, we're going to try to do Hyper Casual launch. And honestly, launching Hyper Casual games nowadays is not going to get us to the level of these historical games that are way stronger, have been launched in the past, have historical cores and everything. So the idea is really to look at some genres or more specifically to gameplays where we think and there is potential for disruption. And when I say uh-huh. disruption, it's mostly how do we simplify or how do we twist the gameplay by a change of control, by a change of setup, by a change of rules, uh, by making it easier to actually grasp, uh, to actually create uh, some new games. And so we have hundreds of studios that actually, you know, were the historic Voodoo Studios plus new studios that we create and we hunt uh, to work with us that create these games are really focused on some gameplays where we think there's potential. And as I was saying at the beginning, we regularly take a look at the list of gameplays and the results we have from the games and say, you know, is it working? Is it not working? And if it's not working, then we're going to find a new gameplay that we think is promising. We're going to do an in-depth analysis of what it is. We're going to deconstruct the different games and we give some guidelines to the studios for them to actually succeed in building new prototypes, right? And so then if a game has the right metrics, we move it uh, to self-launch, A-B test, if it works and we can scale it, then it goes to a live team. And this is a case of games like U-Boat, for example, that we've launched recently, Blockjam, which is also in, the, you know, really from missing game, Infantry Attack, which is in more recent games. And these games, you know, are more action-oriented, for example, or puzzle-oriented. And, you know, they're not half casual in the way they were built. Initially, they're uh-huh. not half casual in the, in the look and feel of the game. And they're not half casual in the monetization uh, aspect of the game. It really has different layers of monetization and it's um, it's going, you know, way deeper than what we're doing before and it allows us to actually scale the game even further because we achieve higher LTVs than what we've ever done in the past. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, I just, yeah, you mentioned, you know, metrics you're looking at and if the game is working or not, what are those metrics you're looking at? Because with hyper casual games, you just run the CPI test. If the CPI is good, you launch the game, that's it, success. But with hyper casual games, you have to also look at like the engagement, retention, monetization. So what metrics are you looking for to define if the game is, you know, good? So first of all, hyper casual weren't only looking at at CPI. I mean, CPI was obviously kind of the make or break for the game, but you yeah. also needed to have, you know, a day one retention, a day three, and a day seven retention to be able to scale the game to the level where we as Voodoo were happy with the success of the game. I mean, games we were making like 10 cent margin are interested for us. We were really, you know, we've always been looking for millions of dollars in gross margin on the games, uh, and the smaller ones have not been of any interest. So first of all, the, the portfolio is super strong. 
And so it's CPI is still something that we look at, uh, obviously, for the new games and for the existing games that we take over. Then we look at day one retention because it's so important to actually monetize at the beginning uh, of the player journey. And this, you would still need to have, you know, day one, which is above 45%. We look at day seven retention. You would be looking at day sevens that are above 15%, ideally above 20% for puzzles. Uh, D14 and D30 will also be interesting. And so we're aiming for like 10% D30 on these games that actually have a potential to monetize well afterwards. And daily playtime is going to be... The last important metric I would say we look at, see if players are engaged, uh, if they come back during the day, and if they keep, you know, if they want to keep playing the game. Now, how do we assess monetization? Because, you know, it's not only about uh, retention and it's not only about uh, playtime. You also need to have monetization opportunities in your game to actually get people to pay and uh, get your game to be profitable at scale. We solely focus on gameplays where we believe there is monetization potential. And why do we believe there's monetization potential in these gameplays? Because there are games on the market that make a shit ton of money on uh, on these games, obviously. And, uh, and and that's and that's how it is. You, t- you make a match game, it's not rocket science how you're going to monetize it, right? Obviously, you will need to get a good CPI, you will need to get player engaged and, and make a different experience from the existing games. But if you manage to do that, you're going to monetize through EGPs. Because that's, you know, what's been working on games like Candy Crush and Real Match. Same goes for Solitaire. If you make like a tri-peak Solitaire, you know, Grand Harvest has been monetizing for years now. So if you actually manage to get a decent CPI and a good engagement, you will find a way to actually monetize these games. And if you look at, I don't know, or like FPS games that we've been working on lately or strategy game, you can think about, you know, equipment, cards, loot boxes, all of these things that you see in the classic games and that we want to add to these games uh, and actually get them to work. And how did we learn that? We thought we could monetize everything at the beginning. And so we've been working on a strategy for like one and six months now, uh, like putting all of our street towards hybrid and prototyping. We started by actually doing, I mean, it must be a year actually, I was saying six months, it's my year. We tried games that were a bit more deterministic. Games like, you know, Sudoku, Nilogram, like all of the easy brain games, for example, they're great games. I'm going to be wrong. They have really high retention and everything, but there aren't that many monetization opportunities in these games. And so the payback period on these kind of games is way longer than a lot of ones. And we just thought, you know, for example, the, the opportunity wasn't there on these after testing. I mean, it's just an example among others. We have a lot, but we basically test and learn based on our failures. Mm-hmm. So from what I hear... Like the three main things that you're looking for when looking for ideas for hybrid casual games. First of all, a very catchy core gameplay. Secondly, a good potential for monetization. And these two pretty usually they come hand to hand. So that's, that's all right. And the third one, a possibility to simplify the, I guess the first user sessions in order to make it more smooth for user to understand what is going on, to feel more comfortable than in the more serious, which word would be correct here, to other competitors using this core gameplay in the niche. Marketability is key. And I think, how do you achieve marketability? And that's back to your third point. It's how do you simplify the rule to make it super easy to understand for a player and super catchy. And the rule is crystal clear. And everyone wants to download the game when they just see a game rush because they, they see what's the challenge and they want to solve it in a fun mm-hmm. way. And collect them all with this initially. Uh, I mean, CPI was really decent. Or we think of a twist that's not going to simplify the gameplay, but it's going to make it more accessible to the public. Well, I know using different characters, different themes, different look and feel for the game that will uh-huh. actually allow us to lower the CPI. And that's also based on experience and what we've seen in the uh-huh. past and extensive benchmark that we conduct on, you know, games that could be inspirations for us. So but do you think like simplifying the gameplay works for any genre? Like you, you mentioned strategy no, I don't, games. I don't, I don't can, think can it does. Can you simplify the strategy? I, I, don't think it, I don't think it does for every genre. Uh, I think you take Clash Royale, for example, 
it's the beauty of it resides in the complexity of the gameplay. I mean, it's not complex. Yeah. The core gameplay is, is super simple to to pick up, but then you have a bunch of meta afterwards, uh, and you had you know you have this card collection system and the upgrade, and then you have the the, the clans and everything. And so, are we gonna make a better clash of clan or simplified one? I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but it's a really struggle to see where we could actually do it because I think the the key of the game is not necessarily the core gameplay, but more the meta. And so it's going to be hard to actually simplify it. So yeah, I, I think right now you could simplify everything, but I think there is, you know, a list of uh, priority that we need to take into account and which ones are easier, in our opinion, to simplify than others. And I think strategy-wise, it's it could be hard. Like Forex, for example, is, is super hard as well to simplify. We look into it, obviously, we're not blind. And because I think the opportunity is huge, it's it's probably the largest uh, mid-core jar. It's the one that's been growing over the past two years. But I can't say we've found a way to actually twist it as of now. Maybe it will come in two, three, six months, whenever. Um, but, uh, but not yet. One quick thought that I had, I think Supercell, one of the reasons it's really difficult to simplify, at least from the core perspective, games of Supercell, because they use the same exact approach, I believe. So they take popular genres on the market and they simplify them, making them more appealing and more accessible to the audience. Like Clash Mini, Clash Quest, Clash Royale, Clash of Clans. I think each one of them was a simplification of an already existing niche. And that's one of the reasons they succeeded. Of course, not the only one, but that might be also the reason why it is really difficult to simplify the core gameplay of Supercell games because they already did it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, these games are amazing, obviously. They're really good at monetizing. Yeah. They really, yeah, they really have strong, strong game, core gameplays. And if we can build a game like this one day, you know, I'd be more than happy. And maybe we will, but uh, yes, uh, it's one of yeah, it's one. Exactly. Exactly, you're right. <laughs> we'll do it. Talking about the future, I'm really wondering from the company perspective, because this whole pivot, it might seem pretty interesting and fascinating from the team side, but from the company perspective, it's a big risk, especially when you're going full in in the new market that is not existing there yet. So what was the thought process there? How have you decided that, yes, this is something we want to tackle and going from there to, yes, we want to focus the whole company on it? I think it's inherent to the, um, to the culture of and the culture of, you know, Alex and the, and the founders of this, of this company will always been willing to take risks. Uh, mm -hmm. It's part of the it's part of the company values. They're always looking to diversify the business. And as I was saying at the beginning, we didn't start casual hybrid in, you know, October 2022. We actually started in 2020. And so we have like two years of failure before actually completely switching the company new thing, which is, and you know, we've tried to do casual games like the casual studios. We tried to hybridize any hyper casual head that we had as runners. We failed on both. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we tried, we tried a bunch of things. We tried to buy or take minority investments in casual companies that work as well. And in the end, what we figured out, I think, is we iterated a lot on the process. And it's once we actually found a process that worked that we really put all the efforts in it. And it actually came at the time where Hub Casual was you know, and to catch his breath, it was a bit harder. And so that's when we actually shifted the whole company. But the whole company had been working on that for a long time. We had given some time to the initiative to gather some learnings, you know, learn as a team, as a company, how to launch these games differently, how to adapt our processes to this company. And now everyone is actually aiming in this direction. And I think why it wasn't that hard in the end to actually switch everyone is we had these learnings that we took on board throughout time. 
But in the end, the mm-hmm. process that we approach and that the process we're taking is not different from the way we actually did hybrid, uh, sorry, hybrid cattle games. So, and I'm still quite a strong believer in this. Our strength and our main strength lies in the fact that we make a lot of prototypes and mm-hmm. we make a lot of really good prototypes thanks to the amazing studios that we work with. So we have amazing internal and amazing external studios that we've been partnering with for years that we've been making hits with for years. And, you know, I just want to say a big shout out to, to these guys that have been through tough times as well. And actually, they know how to make a catchy gameplay. They know how to make it uh, snackable. They know how to make it fun to play and, and easy to rest. And I think that was key in, in the pivot. And also our publisher managers, they all, you know, most of them come from Hype Casual and they know this as well. Mm-hmm. So they know how to use, let's say, the best of Hype Casual and actually adapt it to hybrid and to these new gameplay. So it's just a change of the kind of games that we're going to make. But in the end, it's kind of the same process. You know, we, we're a bit more prescriptive than we were in the past. And we give more guidelines mm-hmm. because we have more convictions on where we should go and we need to help the studios pivot the strategy. But they also, you know, have a lot of autonomy to actually find ideas, find concepts, test new things. But we still have the same process of actually, like, you know, reviewing ideas, testing fast, killing fast, iterating, soft launching fast. We just add a kind of luxury that we have at the end, which is, you know, the live teams that are made of, you know, amazing leaders from the casual world that can actually work in games and get them to the next level. And so, yeah, I think it's it's a mix of diversification early on. That's the first thing. Uh, second thing, it's learning as a company and learning from your failures. And third one is actually not transforming everything compared to the Hypercatal process and leveraging uh, as a Hypercatal publisher and I would say the creator of the industry and, and kind of the industry leader for the past ever six years. Cool. So like the secret sauce here, it, well, it was all this time like in the plain sight, but there are not a lot of companies out there who really master it and it's the question of prototyping. So iterational approach, building fast prototypes, testing them and the process of it. So it's the question of how you build this framework, this system. I think prototyping is here. And it's also about the people. And it's also the people, the obviously. People are important. No, the yeah. people are important. I mean, both both studios and publishing managers, who I think, you know, really um, reached a, a great level of expertise in coaching the studios, finding ideas and launching games. So it's, uh, it's about the people and it's about the process. Great. And fingers crossed, it will be like that in the future. A quick question. So you've mentioned that the majority of the hyper-casual titles that you try to add some layer of hybrid monetization and your live team, live ops team, tried to work with, it failed. So, I mean, the trying of going in the hybrid direction. But some of them succeeded at the same time. So having all, the, all of this experience, looking back, do you see any patterns or any signs of what kind of hyper-casual games can be transcribed into hybrid? And which of them can't. A question comes back to the metrics for me. So the mm. the games that have a high engagement all the time, so it's mm. not only like day one, day two, and a high play time have a better chance of actually becoming hybrid. That's that's the first thing, and that seems obvious because it's like the new games and how we actually assess the new games. But it's the it's the reality in the end. So that's I would say that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is the potential of the game in terms of in-app purchases. So mm-hmm. where players already purchasing items in the game before you actually try to hybridize it. And uh, there is something with this. Uh, and Mob Control, for example, was a game where it was already a bunch of IPs before the game was hybridized. And so that's kind of a sign that we can use. And I think the third one is also live teams. So the teams that you actually put on the games afterwards, you know, we're lucky to have a great team working on Mob Control here at Voodoo. And and these guys, they really had a vision from the for the game from day one. Mm-hmm. From day one, they actually took over the game. They had a vision of where they actually wanted to go, and you know they had the time to actually succeed it and uh, turn around the game and be able to rescale it afterwards. And I think that the vision 
for the game is really important and having a team that actually takes full ownership of it and really you know lives with it is something that is that is important it's not like a, a side project yeah pretty understandable so Going back to the market, it seems that if we talk about hyper-casual games with good metrics, with some good retention, not only like day one and day three, day seven, but also going further, it basically means that for the majority of the market of hyper-casual games, it will be really difficult to transfer into hybrid because the core gameplay, the game itself, will basically won't work with the hybrid monetization. Yeah. Agreed. So that's uh, the bad news for for the, for the majority of the hypercasual content. Oh, it's, out there. It's, it, it, it's the bad news and the, and the good news. But the thing is, it's the good news for us because we probably have the largest portfolio out there. So yeah. we have you know a lot of things to a lot of uh, gameplays to pick from mm -hmm. with all the right metrics. It's bad news for others. They actually just uh, followed the TikTok trends and tried to do uh, <laughs> binary runners in 2021 because these games are going to be very hard to rescale afterwards. So and that's why we've always been trying to be ahead of the market. I would say and you know. Of course, we follow the trends. We're not stupid, and we want to make games that are successful. But we always, you know, try to make games that have high monetization potential as well. And we always want to test new things. And even in happy casual, we never really stayed in one jar, I would say, and we always kind of reinvented ourselves. So, mm -hmm. and you and you have a bunch of examples. You know, we started with like word games in 2016 with uh, Fight List. Then we had kind of very indie runners and in 2017, like Bulls vs. Blocks and Flappy Dunk and others. Then we moved to battery runners at some point in 2019 and 2020. In between, in 2018, we did like uh, .io games, like uh, Paper.io, Hold.io, Pay, um, mm -hmm. Crowd City mm -hmm. and others. We had a bunch of strategy game as well, City Takeover, Lumbercraft, Moon Pioneer. So we've, we've always been trying to do new things and we always were curious about what the studios were doing and trying to launch new kinds of games and I think that ability to pivot all the time our product strategy and, and not follow the trends but really follow what we were seeing as a publisher and where we had convictions really helped us stay on top on uh, you know of our game and, and out of the games that actually we launched and if you look at Happy Casual we've seen a lot of you know players coming in and then actually coming out mm -hmm. a lot of changes over the past five years and uh, they are like 10 players that, that stayed for five years so it's uh, it's really about being able to reinvent yourself regularly, and I think that's what we're doing right now, and that's why we are able to actually launch these new games. But what what challenges do you see in the upcoming future in the year two years perspective, based on this pivot, based on the situation that is going on right now in the company, for example? For Voodoo, uh, yeah. or for the market? Um, for I think for Voodoo first and foremost, yeah. Good question. I mean, the, the the first challenge we have right now is actually finding talent to come and work with us. Um, mm -hmm. So we're really trying to find people with a creative mindset, but also kind of an analytical way of thinking to come work with us, both in publishing to actually, you know, build the next hit games on the next hit core gameplays, I would say, and as your directors. So people that can actually really own uh, the roadmap of a game that is being launched and work at a very high pace, a bit like in the Voodoo uh, style of things. And I think we found some great talent and we have some great talents in the teams, uh, but it's, mm -hmm. it's it's one thing that could be a risk, which is we really have a, a very, very healthy pipeline right now. And honestly, we don't have enough people to take care of it. I mean, we do, we staff people, obviously, but the thing is we could have a shortcoming in the coming month. So we, we need to find people to actually work on these games. And we're very bullish on the strategy and we really think we, we can get there in terms of the in, in terms of the objective. So that's the I would say that's the first risk that comes to us. I don't really see a risk on the um, on the Apple and Google privacy changes because uh -huh. we've been there. 
we've seen it and you know we came out of it different obviously we had to change the approach we had to change the way we do ua we had to change the way we do videos we test games and everything but we made it so you know we know that here we're ready to go through some bumps we've been used to that and have casual always having to reinvent ourselves so it's not something we're scared of I think we're very agile as a company and we have a very agile mindset and we are able to adapt to anything that comes at us and get there. The main risk, I would say, is that uh, our thinking around the fact that our games can be uh, recurring uh, mm-hmm. is wrong. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not that worried about, about that one because we have proof points. Like the historical portfolio and hype casual is very recurring. And, you know, we're, we're still making a lot of revenues on top hit games from 2017, 2018, 2019. That's fine. And what we're seeing is that the first games that actually went through the hybrid, let's say, process are also having a really good 2023 uh, year so far. And so it's, uh-huh. it's really going unplanned and it's going well. So if we do our homework, find some good gameplays, launch them in the right way and follow the, the process and trust the process, I think we'll get there and I think we'll make recurring gameplays. Obviously, we're going to have some some games that will make it along the way and that's fine. You know, we can have some kind of uh, hits that, you know, are still going to generate a few millions and, and they're not going to become like the massive recurring revenue generating games. We'll, we'll find others and we'll learn <clears throat> and we'll iterate on the process. But I think that's the one concern is that we're not able to actually make uh, recurring games. But the facts for me wrong so far this year. And I don't see any reason why that would change in the in the near future. That sounds good. So I'd say that if there are any really talented studio producers or studio directors out there or people with a good blend of creativity and logical thinking, then you should totally approach someone from Voodoo in order to discuss the opportunities there because there are great things going on right now. And I think it's a great opportunity indeed. I suggest we jump right into the recommendation part of our podcast. So for new listeners out there, each time in the end of the episode, we try to recommend three games from each of the host or the guest. These can be the games that we love, that we played long time ago or played recently and want to share. Maybe these could be the games that we really hated, and that's one of the reasons we want to share it as well. So we might go like in turns, so maybe begin with the first one, each one of us, then the second, and then the third. So I think my first one will be, you know, I think it will be Resident Evil 4 Remake. So I haven't played Resident Evil games for quite a while. Actually, I've tried only the fourth one back in the day, like 10 years ago or so. And it was really great. I really love the camera, the settings, the gameplay mechanics, the change of pace, because there were different gameplay possibilities in, in it. I can say for sure that 10 years later, it still works. Like all the gameplay mechanics there, all the different dynamics of fighting the hordes of monsters, then a fight balls, then going through the, the rails on a train, then through the lake with a giant monster. So it's the question of a good game design that works even years and la- years later. The same that goes with like evergreen mechanics like Tetris or stories like that. So talking about our today's topic, I think that's another example of a good approach when the game can become old, really successful and having some kind of a face-tune using the, the new engine and the new technologies and having the same game design approach to be on the same level of attractiveness, to be as fun as it used to be 10 years ago. So a great work out there and I really love it. For me, I'd say it should be Death Stranding. I just recently finished it finally. And it's another great example of the the, the hybrid approach because first of all, you get the, all kinds of gameplay mechanics. You get the, well, first of all, you, you, do, you do deliveries all the time, but then you also shoot bad guys, you fight bosses, you, you do stealth, you do fighting even. So it kind of, a, you know, combines a lot of gameplay mechanics, but then also 
Hideo Kojima just made a, a wonderful story with a lot of pop culture references, a lot of jokes, and a lot of depth to it. So yeah, just go try it out, or at least just watch video on YouTube. I think vi watching videos is all right as well, because the whole gameplay, sometimes it's very chilled out, very relaxed. I can totally imagine me after a long day at the work, going there and like watching it for an hour or two hours straight while cooking or eating or doing something, something like that. Tibu, what about you? So should, yeah. should I recommend a game then? Yeah, uh, yeah. If you've got one. okay. So I'm I'm more mobile game guy, as as I told you initially. One game I enjoyed recently is Fishdom Solitaire from Derex, mm -hmm. where I thought it was quite smart to actually reuse the um, the Fishdom meta with you know the fish tank trying to get new fishes, uh, getting to feed them. This whole universe actually worked quite well for match three in their initial game, but actually adding a gameplay that I think was underserved for years, which is Tri-Pix Solitaire. It's not that different from Grand Harvest, but it's a bit more modern and it's a bit snappier in the way it plays. And I thought that was a, that was a good game they launched. And I'm honestly quite impressed they were able to, to scale a game that is kind of a classic casual uh, title, because it feels like we haven't seen that many non-IP casual titles killing in the, few, in the last few months. That is true. That is true. Well, I haven't tried it myself, but should totally try it. After your recommendation, sounds good. I think my second one will be a mobile as well. And I've already played it right at the beginning when it was scaling and a boom hit, but recently I've returned to Marvel Snap. One of the main reasons was watching Ben Broad's talk at GDC. Absolutely fantastic. If you're really into game design, you should totally check it out. Ben is a wonderful uh, speaker and game designer. And based on that, I decided to give it a try once more. I really loved it the first time, but just at some point, I decided that I wanted to spend my time on other stuff, like real life sometimes. Yeah, you should too. Uh, so right now it's going pretty fun. I really love the short sessions. I really love the fact that I was able to return to the game pretty fast and it was easy to grasp. So there were no difficult cards, difficult mechanics to understand. I, I forgot totally my whole card set, but I was ready to jump into the battle like five minutes from launching the game. And I think it's a good sign for a game, especially for a collectible card game, which are usually pretty, pretty heavy on the, on the depth. I think that's great. All right. Going with the mobile peak for me, uh, and sticking with the whole hybrid casual topic i'd say the most extreme of them all is called x hero it's just a frankenstein monster of a game so you have a, a core gameplay of saving a little dog from bees by drawing a line or lines so you try to protect the dog and then you also have just the crazy over-the-top meta of just japanese rpg kind of game it goes to show how crazy the combination of, of different genres could, could be interesting never heard about it and maybe I can finish with the last one. I'm thinking Mighty Doom from Bethesda that I think is quite good actually on mobile oh, uh, yeah. as well. I, I was surprised the game worked. I think it's mainly based on IP, honestly, because the gameplay is super close to Archero, I feel. But it's still a great gameplay and I feel like we haven't really seen that many pivots from, uh, from Archero and it's not a pivot, it's more like a model improve uh, hmm. with the reskin, even though Archero is probably one of the, you know, one of the best games of the, of the last few years. I would say, along with uh, Survivor.io, I think still from Heavy. So yeah, I thought better that did a really good job of actually reskinning the game and keeping that kind of uh, cool feeling of Archero with the whole Doom environment. Actually, I'm actually, playing it right now as well. And I have played Archero back in the day. I haven't tried any of Archero's clones. And it just, like, 
uh, caught my eye. I think in the App Store there was some kind of an ad. And I was really intrigued by the fact that the guys behind Doom or the IP decided to make an Archer clone. That's one of the basic reasons I decided to download it and try it. But yeah, I ended up deep into it, like spending minutes and hours so I can totally feel you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good game. So should we go to the third one? Gentlemen, do we have a third game? Or should we stop here? Do I'm not sure I have a third one. <laughs> I mean, I, I have one. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think uh, then we... Yeah. Mob control? Really? Yeah, you have to try mob control. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good call. That's a really good game, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a good recommendation. So the third one will be uh, mutual from all of us three. You should really try mob control. And actually, that's true because I've never played it when it was a hyper-casual hit, but I've tried it when I've heard all about the whole hybrid pivot. And I was really... We're really fascinated by the meta, actually. So I really love the fact that the very easy core gameplay was connected to our competitive feature. And also with some kind of progression, actually, that is, in some cases, pretty close to Archero, which has a very good meta and very good progression, from my point of view. So, yeah, a big shout out to, to the guys at Voodoo. Okay, cool. Um, then thank you. Thank you everyone for being with us today. It was a great episode. We've discussed lots of things. We finally understood what is hybrid, especially how it is defined in Voodoo. We understood what is going on with the hybrid monetization in the Voodoo games right now and how the whole company pivoted to this direction. And not just this year, but two years ago and ended up after two years of experiments going full in. So Tibu, thank you for being with us today. It was a wonderful conversation. Really, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Yep. Kirill, thank you for joining once again. Thanks for having me. Great. If you love what we do, totally follow, subscribe, hit the like button, tell about us to your friends, family, cats, dogs, I don't know, your aunt, your auntie. Just be sure to spread a word. And see you in the next episode. Good luck and have fun. <laughs>